Hey budding lawyers, welcome to the podcast and today we have with us Mr. Kingshuk Haldar. Hi Kingshuk. Hi Prasanna, how are you doing? Good, good. So Kingshuk has worked with Deloitte US India Hyderabad for 3 years as a legal professional specializing in corporate laws, white collar crime investigations, regulatory compliance, commercial contracts and forensics. He has completed his LLM course in maritime laws from the Gujarat Maritime University. and also his egmp from iim calcutta so in this episode we'll talk about studying maritime law in india and its future okay kingshuk firstly i would like to know that what urged you to leave your precious job and complete your studies in maritime law hi prasanna as you know i was employed with uh, deloitte for a period of 3 years and uh, deloitte special deloitte is a big for uh, its audit and tax heavy firm where i was dealing with regulatory forensics and contracts well uh, my financial side was always my interest since i had a corporate law specialization in my graduation uh, in the year 2016 when i graduated but uh, i always always had an inherent interest in uh, the areas of maritime and the sea that's a childhood interest but in india sadly i did not find any uh, institution which provided a commercial side to the maritime law aspect in india uh, actually in specially so i thought okay uh, when i saw gujarat maritime university the clat website for the very first time in 2019 uh, under the affiliate section i was the first uh, batch of uh, gujarat maritime university and it was a very new university back in 2019 when it started its course so i decided to enroll uh, there uh, saw the course structure it intrigued me because of my interest i something which was very unconventional in nature so i decided to jump ship from a very finance and regulatory side of my practice to maybe something which is not very relevant or which is not very uh, i'm sorry for using the word relevant it's not 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 very relevant it's relevant but it's not very uh, well practiced heard of, heard of in, in in the country uh, that is obviously there well uh, yes so this actually intrigued me that, that's basically because of my childhood interest yeah because uh, how many people do we know like famous lawyers who are like uh, practicing maritime law as a full time you know practice uh, we forget about famous lawyers we don't even uh, know lawyers in our contact in our circles friend circles who are practicing in such field uh, when i read about it it's a very interesting field and from what i know i think in indian navy i think there is a obviously there will be a legal department and yes. i think to Uh, when you get into that you study most of this these laws right uh no in the indian navy as you know the indian mm. navy uh, deals with a lot of maritime security aspects of the laws of maritime so uh, they mm. will of course deal with the uh, law of the sea they will deal with uh, certain maritime security aspects but uh, what uh, i have been uh, taught at uh, gujarat maritime university is the commercial side of maritime which is international trade and maritime and shipping so shipping cargoes and containers from one port to the other via transshipment ports this is what we have been taught but th- that part of indian navy is particularly based on law, maritime security but this is something which is different of course we know we have been taught maritime security as well but they only deal with certain parts of uh, maritime law the policy making part not the commercial aspect of it that's the major difference that you'll find an indian navy lawyer doing and maybe what a normal maritime lawyer does in let's say a, one of the admiralty courts in the country i'll come to that what is an admiralty court yeah so uh, as you are talking about these can you uh, delve more into it like 
uh, in your course you studied in gujarat uh, national law university what were the subjects and what are the subfields in this uh, field like there are, in this sector there may be various other uh, subsectors too uh, as you said right now that there is uh, indian navy deals with the security aspect of it and you deal with the commercial aspect commercial aspect so apart from these also there are, are there any other sectors and if yes then what so uh, i was not from nadu gujarat it was gujarat maritime university my campus is in uh, gujarat uh, national law university is from i done it from gujarat maritime university that's okay, it's a different university it's not affiliated with a different no it's not affiliated to gujarat maritime university although we have a collaboration uh, our transitory campus is gujarat national university because we do not have a campus as of now but of course our campus is getting built uh, just behind in gandhinagar so that's there uh, till the time we do not have a uh, permanent campus our transitory campus will be gnlu itself so that's there but it's a different university altogether we do not have any like link to that of course now coming to your question as to uh, what are the other aspects that can be delved into apart from maritime security and maritime commercial aspects of maritime well the there can be a policy making part of it for example you have these think tanks called as national maritime foundation in new delhi they hire maritime researchers which deals with the policy aspects of uh, maritime well uh, what do i mean by policy aspects of is, is that they work as researchers they because law many of these uh, law of the sea is the subject called law of the sea under this thing you have unclos uh, united nations convention on the law of the sea 1982 that's by the international maritime organization it's a convention so uh, you must have heard about baselines and uh, contiguous zone and continental shelf all these are defined there so all this come under policy making so this is the public international aspect that i'm talking about so basically if you talk about maritime is divided into public and private international law now public international law deals with basically all these uh, law of the sea aspect of it and uh, basically you can also include a bit of maritime security aspect to it as well but private international law as you know is a contract between two private bodies yes hmm. so where there's a contract between two private private bodies it it always falls under the ambit of commercial maritime law but in public international law it covers policy making and all these other aspects so when you bifurcate always bifurcate into public and private international law there it fall then you can see the ambit of maritime law getting broader and wider that's how it is okay so basically uh, two categories we can say uh, as we have studied like lawyers who have graduated they know there is a compulsory subject name international law and they know the basic difference about public international and private international so in public international uh, these security aspects and all will be covered and uh, also the what what was the name of the think tank you said national maritime foundation new delhi is it a government body it's or it's a private it's thing a, it's a it's a government supported body by the indian navy they are supported by the ministry of defense government of india they do research on that aspects as well uh, maritime security and law of the sea and uh, all those aspects so is it like th- these think tanks also uh, provide the data and an analytics to the indian navy also yeah 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 they they are a they are a proper affiliated uh, think tank which actually uh, works for the betterment of the maritime uh, security region they do a policy research on that and the indian navy fully supports their research yeah they rely on the research to an extent i would say okay this sounds very interesting um okay so in the private international law this thing what are the different this uh, like can you give some examples uh, through which people can understand what type of matters are there and how lawyers practice in this field 
Okay, so uh, maritime law is separate from the other uh, civil and criminal disputes that we as lawyers are accustomed to in a sense that uh, for a civil dispute, as you know, there are hierarchy of courts are maybe a district court and then a high court and then the Supreme Court, or maybe even lesser for a criminal court, maybe a magistrate's court, and then you come to a sessions judge or something. The hierarchy goes like this and CPC and CRPC have read so. But when it, when it comes to, to maritime, we do not have it in this fashion. Uh, for, for the maritime jurisdiction, the 2017 Admiralty Jurisdiction Act, that defines the powers of a uh, where the cases will lie in particularly a maritime matter in a commercial maritime matter so only a few designated high courts in the country especially the coastal high courts have been given the power to hear admiralty disputes so uh, for example if i consider delhi high court if i consider Allahabad high court if i consider let's say rajasthan high court all these are landlocked states they do not have admiralty jurisdiction uh, in their respective high courts whereas talk about Calcutta High Court, you talk about Madras High Court, you talk about Bombay High Court, Kerala High Court, Gujarat High Court, Odessa High Court, throughout the Indian coastline, any state touching the sea will have an admiralty jurisdiction. Initially, it was uh, through the latest patent only given to the High Court of uh, Calcutta, Bombay and uh, Madras, as you know, there are presidency high courts. Uh, maximum, of, by the way, maximum of the cases were dealt with the Bombay High Court before because because of the concentration of shipping power in Bombay, because that's how it was there. Maximum of the arrest matters used to happen in Bombay. But right now, after the 2017 Act, the majority of the cases shifted from Bombay to, but still Bombay holds fort in the maritime matters, but, but Calcutta also holds the fort in the eastern part of the country. So it was Bombay in the western part, Calcutta in the eastern part, but now it has been divided after 2017 Act. So in the eastern part also, you have many high courts. You have Odessa High Court, you have Calcutta High Court, down you have the Madras High Court. Madras High Court always had it. Then in the West, you have many high courts. You have Gujarat High Court, you have all these. So, so what, what, what does this mean is that any, any uh, ship, so I, I'm calling this sh a ship for uh, my viewers and your viewers because the, in the maritime language, we refer it as a vessel, V-E-S-S-E-L. Mm -hmm. So uh, any vessel which is, let's say, uh, disputed in the territorial limits of, let's say, Gujarat, what I mean by territorial limits is that, so basically, if you look at the coastline, uh, many, many of our listeners have gone to beaches for vacations, for any kind of sightseeing or anything. So when we see a beach, so we, we see the water touching the sands of the beach and then retreating. So if you take the length, the, from there, the baseline starts and you calculate 12 nautical miles. That's the territorial limits of the country. Mm. What do you mean by territorial limits is that, let's say IPC uh, 300, you actually commit a murder. And let's say you run away within 12 nautical miles of the country, the Indian police can come and catch you even there till 12 nautical miles. Yeah. Till that, the, till that the Indian laws apply. For us, maritime, these, these limits actually matter. Beyond 12 till 24, it's basically the contiguous zone. After that starts the continental shelf and then the exclusive economic zone and then the high seas. So till 200 nautical miles, we have the exclusive economic zone. After that, we have the high seas. Hmm. So till 12 nautical miles, uh, all the laws apply intact as if it was applying to Indian territory itself. So 12, till 12 nautical miles is India's territory. Yes. So, hmm. any, so 12 nautical miles would be approximately 20 to 21 kilometers. That's approximately. So within the sea also 20, 21 kilometers, that's, that's considered as India's territory. So uh, you can't run away like 20 kilometers and say that, okay, I'm safe now because the Indian Coast Guard can apprehend you and bring you back and make you like arrest you. Obviously. So that's, that's how it is in general.
yes okay so as you mentioned this vessel uh, so i think under the definition of the term vessel uh, for example if we consider the indian navy there may be various like submarine is there then there is a aircraft carrier uh, then there are many other such uh, so these will be included in a vessel right no uh, don't uh, include the indian navy we do not include indian navy in our uh, conventions because Private. no we do not include that any kind of government owned vessels are not included in the definition of a, a vessel uh, particularly for commercial aspects uh, no indian navy vessels are included indian navy is exempted from all these uh, conventions uh, imo conventions by the united nations we are not include uh, government owned vessels not only indian navy no government owned vessels are included so we are dealing with only private vessels here vessels owned by private owned companies cargo ships and all cargo ships and we also have some uh, like partially hydrofoil boats we have uh, submersibles uh, so all these uh, so we also include rigs which can float some of them some of the conventions include rigs also oil rigs which can float there are there are various definitions of vessels in various kind types of conventions that uh, we do have and yes we do not include indian navy vessels uh, that's not included that's because as government owned ministry of defense yeah so if there are any disputes uh, with respect to a government owned vessel then how it is resolved it depends if, if if there's a dispute between a government owned vessel and a privately owned vessel it will be dealt with the respective uh, high court uh, as as it happened in the like very famous case of ins vindhyagiri which was uh, 2011 if i'm not wrong uh, it was collided in the approximately 5 nautical miles uh, like off the coast of mumbai uh, there was like three naval vessels which uh, was involved in a collision with uh, two two uh, vessels mv sea eagle and mv north lake if i'm not wrong so there was a there was a very famous case uh, which uh, happened if i can recall properly uh, so the bombay so it was a case involving multiple jurisdictions because the vessel owners were different and it went to the high court of uh, england and then obviously the bombay high court also were, had to intervene and stuff so so yes if there's a dispute involving a government vessel without any involvement of a private vessel it, it will be dealt with separately because uh, just a government owned vessel there will be no convention applying at all nothing at all hmm, right but if there's a government owned vessel uh, you know in conflict with a private owned vessel in the sense that which includes which is included in the definition of a vessel in that sense you will have the laws applying uh, because it was seen that uh, there was this uh, collision regulation named colreg uh, in 1972 that was applied to these private owned vessels and the apportionment of liability was had to be given by the naval vessels too so in that sense if there's a involvement by a private owned vessel and a government owned vessel and uh, then then the colreg will apply to the privately owned vessel but the apportionment of liability the the apportionment of blame that you have percentage of fault that okay you will pay this much and you will pay this much it was seen that the naval vessels also had to shell out of a few bucks for this particular exercise but if it's only a government owned vessel these conventions won't at all apply at all because they are exempted from this convention it's always an exception and if there is a dispute between a government owned vessel and another government owned vessel it won't apply no how how the like for example there are many china is uh, occupying uh, like humble to time sri lanka then they have some uh, you know uh, yeah then it uh, it goes out of our ambit like completely it becomes a issue of uh, international diplomacy it right. becomes an issue of right. internet yeah so uh, ma- maritime law obviously maritime law will apply but uh, then the indian navy's legal team will take over they will actually see that whether who violated whom and everything but obviously uh, they can't apply this these conventions 
they can actually the U, UN clause will apply here see un clause is basically not for any uh, this thing it's basically it basically defines the zones and everything so united nations convention it defines a sea it doesn't apply to any vessel as any particular it defines a sea so when you talk about uh, 12 nautical miles so okay 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 i'm okay, talking about it. some other no no it, it doesn't apply to any vessel as such okay so it it's only defines territories yes 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 un clause is basically defines let's say the limits of the sea like which area constitutes the high seas uh, like where can you fish uh, where can you not fish everything like uh, basically the sea it doesn't constitute uh, anything which is trade over the sea or any vessel plying on the sea it constitutes a sea is you can call the un clause it's uh, basically monic there's a moniker given to it as a constitution of the seas right now you said that when where you can fish and on so uh, from what i know uh, there are many disputes going on between indian fishermen and sri lankan fishermen uh, so the this dispute where there is no vessel involved as such like no dispute regarding uh, related to the vessel but this is something like this is my territory and you don't have any fishing rights over here so in which jurisdiction will this come see I, i'll tell you something so uh, when there's a dispute regarding to unclause which is un clause as you're saying hmm. uh, so it generally goes to the international uh, tribunal of the law of the sea it lost there's a tribunal it lost it's in uh, like it's abroad so mm. it goes to these uh, this thing and then it can also go for arbitration if the both the parties uh, this thing under international court of justice so mm. that's how the dispute resolution mechanism is divided so it lost is basically the preferred body to go for uh, this thing uh, basically for dispute resolution under uh, un clause it basically uh, under un clause it, it basically covers uh, parties Uh, state parties not private parties hmm. which is why it comes under public international as as i told you before hmm. so yes so when you talk about india and sri lanka so let's say today sri lanka comes and uh, fishes uh, inside the ambit of uh, let's say the india's uh, contiguous zone i'm not saying territorial waters i'm saying india's contiguous zone or maybe near to the uh, exclusive economic zone uh, so india can place an objection because india's exclusive economic zone is actually till 200 nautical miles extendable up to 350 nautical miles that depends on the slow and curvature of the continental shelf that's a very technical definition Hmm. uh you can get into the definition of uh, in the un clause so uh that's there so india can raise an objection but it can raise an raise an objection to sri lanka first if it doesn't agree if it continues to fish it can take take the dispute uh, maybe to it loss and contest it there that's how it's done it's it's, it's very high level diplomacy it's not <laughs> yeah. between it's not from privately owned uh, bodies between state parties yeah so, and that will take lots of time uh, obviously okay um so if one wants to study maritime law in india uh, are there many institutes offering this course not many institutes offer uh, maritime law in the country uh, there are there, there are a very like uh, i won't even say handful uh, there's gujarat maritime university offering uh, like rlm and maritime law which is a one year course uh, in india itself there is uh, one in kerala if i'm not wrong uh, coach institute of science and technology kusat which does offer i think an element maritime law then uh, gujarat national law university which is gnlu they have a specialization in maritime subject only to i think 10 students opting for it after uh, the clat the clat results so if you don't have i think 10 students they do not offer that course uh, there's something because uh, when i was studying in gm uh, my university my campus was gnlu i did not see any Uh, person 
like uh, taking up maritime because there was no no takers for it so uh, if there are no takers they don't offer it actually so it's like very scattered uh, i heard that indian, indian maritime university also does offer but uh, i heard that it has uh, it has stopped offering it but, but yeah if you do not want to pursue a full fledged uh, post graduation in maritime you can always go for a post graduate diploma that i think nalsar does offer now there's an nalsar pro kind of uh, this thing a distance learning program that you have that offers post graduate diploma in maritime but not a post graduate degree just like uh, other universities but of course uh, as you know india is still developing on its uh, educational front on maritime which is why it's an endeavor by the gujarat maritime board uh, which is a fully owned state government as you know the maximum of india's coastline lies in gujarat it's approximately 1600 kilometers uh, out of 7525 kilometers of coastline that india has so mm. it's almost like uh, 16th to 17th of coastline lies in gujarat because and it's very strategically located as well uh, yes uh, so uh, gujarat maritime board is one of the most efficient maritime boards uh, they thought that okay we'll set up funds to set up a maritime university and it's also a part of an ambitious project which was uh, envisaged by the uh, former chief minister of gujarat and the current prime minister of india uh, shri narendra damodar das modi actually what what we currently have is uh, a full fledged uh, lnm and maritime law as well as an lnm and international trade law so it's a part of a long vision that uh, he had and uh, so our university is structured in that fashion so that university offers a proper commercial maritime law llm apart from that obviously uh, it's still developing uh, the indian structure is still developing in maritime but of course if you go abroad you have lots of universities offering and reputed universities as well you have national university of singapore you have university of southampton you have uh, obviously if, if somebody can do it you can do it from world maritime university as well you have international maritime law institute in uh, this thing imli we call uh, abbreviated as imli so all these you have plymouth uh, you have swansea you have many universities in the uk offering uh, llm and maritime law so there are very good universities offering abroad but in india is still developing i would say sadly uh, and unfortunately uh, we indians uh, although have a long history of seafaring uh, one of the most oldest ports in the country is lothal in gujarat we have a long history of seafaring but uh, we have somehow neglected the commercial aspect of maritime we are always focused of focused on btech and marine engineering or there are many institutes offering that yeah but uh, the commercial aspects of maritime by commercial aspects i mean uh, let's say an mba in logistics and shipping maybe an lnm in maritime or maybe some other let's say a bba in maritime let's say some some of these kind of commercial aspects apart from technical aspects has been neglected by our country uh, country's educational institutes so yeah, that exactly. is unfortunate because most of the trade of the country goes through sea uh, through supply chains yeah right and still it has neglected so it, i think this is a very crucial point i don't know yeah, so what the reason highlighting your uh, highlighting your point uh, yes i would like to give you the figures approximate figures uh, so uh, by volume uh, when i talk about the world trade and not not only talk about india because maritime is not only india when we talk hmm. about maritime every sea that touches every land every shore that comes under the aspect of my studies that i did from in llm so my llm is very global it's not concentrated in one country right. so when i talk about maritime if you look at the sea that very sea is touching different nations right so hmm. uh, it's very global in its nature so conventions are there for every nation every country who ratifies it it's a it is a duty and an obligation 
to actually follow that through a local laws as we know the difference between a municipal law and an international law. So you ratify a convention, they have to make a municipal law in effect to that. So hmm. as soon as you ratify a convention, a country's it's an obligation for the country to uh, make a municipal law in, in lieu of that international convention. So uh, that's how it is. And uh, every country ratifies it. So a convention is passed in the International Maritime Organization, which is a body of the UN. And you have various countries ratifying it. Right. Now, when you talk about the world trade, hmm. it's approximately 90% by, by volume and approximately 70 to 75% by value goes to the sea. When I talk about 90% by volume, you can imagine that uh, it's approximately the entire of the world trade happens by the seas. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can imagine the amount of uh, trade that happens by the sea. And uh, let me tell you, in fact, even, even while there was a coronavirus pandemic raging throughout the world, of course, shipping was affected. The supply chains were working. Supply, yeah, it was affected. I agree, mm. but it was still working. It never, uh, it never completely stopped because it cannot stop. Uh, trade cannot stop between countries. It was still working. Although you had flights uh, stopped, but ships were still plying uh, in the sea. And uh, our seafarers are continuously working day and night to ensure that we get the necessary medicines, we get the necessary, the shoes we wear, the laptop we use, the headphones that we proudly plug in, the, the imported products that we brag about comes via the seas, maximum of them. Because air transport is costly. Many companies can't afford that. Plus the volume which you can transfer through cargoes is way larger than air. Yes, that's how it is. Okay. So as you said that your study is quite global. So is it like you can apply for jobs abroad too with this degree? Yes, certainly we can apply. Certainly. Okay. Because uh, how it happens is that uh, although we have uh, the municipal laws, like let's say we have the Merchant Shipping Act, uh, we have the Admiralty Jurisdiction Act, which is specific only to India. But all the conventions, which uh, are, and all the contracts, these are international contracts. Uh, so they govern all the countries. So for example, if I have, let's say a contract for charter party, that contract is not only, only to India. So as you know, private international law is governed by contracts. Mm -hmm. uh, maritime law in, in general is nothing but a web of contracts uh, in a very complicated manner. So uh, consigner, consignee contracts, you have all these, uh, then you have a concept of insurance. So you have uh, Holland machinery insurance, you have PNI insurance. And so all these are basically contracts. So when you have contracts, that particular set of contract is uh, uh, given by, let's say, uh, let's say Lloyd's. So all these are bodies. So Lloyd's is basically nothing but a classification society for vessels. In India, you have the Indian Registry of Shipping, which is called the IR class. So Lloyd's is also there in London. Uh, Lloyd's, is, Lloyd's coffee shop, uh, uh, why I'm saying coffee shop is that, uh, so when you, when you talk about Lloyd's, you imagine that as, a, 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 as I think a 17th century coffee shop in uh, downtown London, where uh, all these traders used to come and sip coffee and discuss their uh, insurance deals by ringing a bell. So uh, that transformed into a very uh, big, uh, like a uh, classification society. And uh, it's actually, uh, this thing is still there, by the way, the coffee shop is still there. So uh, Lloyd's has a very big history. So uh, Lloyd's has a lot of uh, standard, this thing, uh, terms and uh, this thing, conditions and agreements. So that is standard across the globe. Some people, mm -hmm. some follow it actually. Then you have uh, NYK class, you have all, the, all these. So, yeah, so it's very global in nature. So it's not that it's specific to just one country and you don't know some other laws. No, it's not like that. Okay. Um, so what do you advise? Like, is it advisable to study uh, this course in India or abroad? For, for any person who uh, doesn't want to actually uh, like uh, go abroad and study maybe because of many reasons, uh, 
for for them uh, studying in india can also be an option because india is actually developing its uh, wings in maritime because uh, the because we have a maritime vision for 2030 introduced by the current prime minister of india recently it was introduced i think uh, like a few weeks back uh, the maritime vision of 2030 uh, we have maritime clusters coming up in gujarat and uh, i i saw one in cochin i saw one in goa as well so there are maritime clusters coming up uh, so india is actually slowly becoming the new west uh, as as uh, i would like to call it uh, because uh, as somebody said 21st century belongs to asia when i talk when i talk about asia i don't talk about countries like uh, bhutan or burma i talk about india and china i i exclude china because obviously china is uh, there are various other reasons maybe mm. not for this video obviously but uh, i would like to include india the main focus is in india so when i talk about india uh, india has a strategic importance with its huge coastline one of one of the largest in the world obviously i am excluding canada us here but in in asia india has one of the largest coastlines because of its area landmass hmm. so when i talk about that i talk about india becoming as the next uh, superpower in the next 20 30 years so when i talk about that i urge our youngsters to explore this uh, huge uh, trade area that is left that is a, left as a vacuum because we have other aspects of law we have other aspects of law as well but this area has been neglected day in and day out of course but people with uh, people with uh, different aspirations people people who can actually uh, afford to give the fees because uh, outside is very high the fees is very high then obviously go abroad and practice but i would urge them to give back to the country when they after after completing their llm of course because our country needs them because abroad it's actually very well settled but in india we are developing various arbitration centers gujarat is developing one bombay already has one in maritime so we need the lawyers to come back to india and give back of course it depends on them where do where do they want to do it certainly okay king shuk so uh, people who are planning to take up this course after their uh, llb or lawyers who are practicing but want to switch their career and get into something new or interested in maritime law so are there any good books which you want to recommend them so uh, so yes uh, as you just mentioned that uh, for lawyers who want to shift their career from uh, like uh, from some other area of law to let's say maritime so for that uh, for that uh, it depends on like from which aspect of maritime do they want to delve into do they want to delve into research or policy making or certain other uh, academics or even let's say uh, litigation or even the commercial side of it there are various aspects that maritime law is divided into so for that uh, uh, depends on your interest so if you have interest in policy making and maritime security of course as you said indian navy reports and uh, all these uh, all these uh, like uh, but documentaries will help uh, sometimes these documentaries also released uh, you can also see these documentaries on youtube there are various documentaries uh, about how india is actually a very powerful navy one of the powerful navies in the world and what is it what is it doing to counter china and uh, all these strategies are given but that's obviously for that aspect but for commercial aspect one thing which is very much required is uh, uh, reading conventions first that's the that's the, that's your bible so constitution of your sea first if you want to understand the sea uh, basically if you love the sea understanding the seas is basically what the sea is all about then you want to understand the, the vessels or which ply on it or something but before that understand what is a sea what do we call known as baselines what what do we call as contiguous zone exclusive economic zone territorial waters the high seas and each and every part of this like today if i tell somebody okay i'm sailing in the continental shelf Uh, sorry i'm selling the exclusive economic zone so 
you should have in your mind that okay which area of sea are you sailing what is a nautical mile that can define a uh, exclusive economic zone and beyond that the high seas so these should these should be very clear first reading the unclause that that's a convention itself it's a huge convention reading it completely maybe in a in a few days it's not the not the matter of question but of course uh, slowly by slowly you can read the convention then reading the commercial side of it the, the basically some of the rules like you have hague visby rules you have rotterdam rules you have hamburg rules you have hague rules all these are really important for basically transport of goods from one part of the i'm using the looser terms here transport of cargo goods from one port to the other so uh, how do we go about these things it's very important uh, basically you can actually read all these things you can read the conventions that are in place for let's say maritime environment let's say a maritime labor so all these are divided so every area has one one or two two conventions so you can read all these things obviously so that's how you can go about it for maybe to it'll help you switch better to maritime okay so um how do you stay updated with the latest developments in this sector um, can you also suggest any website or blogs which helps you for this there are uh, various uh, websites like there's one marineinsight.com uh, there is uh, which actually provides a lot of news uh, which uh, actually is there uh, so maritime is a very as i told it's a very global thing so let's say today a news that you may know might not be fresh for tomorrow morning for you to tell your uh, friends and peers or maybe your uh, other relatives or something so it might get old so uh, maritime is such such a thing so in fact where, where one part of the world might be sleeping there might be a maritime accident some in some other part of the world which you might not be aware of you wake up in the morning you open the news and you see that okay there has been a collision let's say in the in the high seas between two vessels so uh, it's it's very global in nature so Uh, keeping an update in this industry is a challenging aspect but of course we have to keep an update because every every minute something or the other has is happening in the maritime sphere even the coronavirus pandemic there was a there was an issue of uh, seafarers getting stranded in ships they were not allowed to disembark by disembarking i mean get down from the ships so because of because of the coronavirus pandemic the contracts were pending they were they were in a clueless manner so they were not in the news so these type of news are actually very important so a normal search in the net can get you some news but of course certain websites also do help so i think uh, international relations and geopolitics the study of these two subjects will help a lot for a maritime lawyer right you i mean i'm not saying that you should not know about it i mean of course i'm not uh, for any kind of uh, educated person these kind of issues uh, should be studied uh, this is uh, this is actually common for all but uh, yes to an extent it does help but for for a commercial maritime lawyer it will not help that much in your day to day practice but of course if you know that okay let's say what is happening in let's say iraq or let's say what is happening in syria uh, so by that you can classify let's say a dangerous port uh, you will not allow your ship or maybe if you are assigning a charter party you will classify in a clause that okay i will not allow my, i will not allow my ship to let's say sail in these ports so if if you're not aware let's say if you're not aware hmm. of the geopolitical situation in let's say syria and uh, you you by mistakenly uh, like let your ship sail in that port and something happens to that ship then uh, it is actually it's actually stupidity i would say yeah so if you to an extent you want to know about it but it would not help so much that you are expecting that to help but of course if you're doing maritime security and policy as your career 
let's say working for the Indian Navy or working for that, obviously then then it becomes at most important. Then you have to know it every day. Yeah. So for you all, for the private practitioners, I think getting yourself updated with the news related to businesses, yes, especially international business, may help, right? That that actually helps. Yes, that actually helps more. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So if one plans to become a maritime lawyer, private practitioner. Uh, what is the procedure? Can you just uh, tell us a step by step? Like obviously LLB is there and then? So uh, there are many maritime uh, practitioners, practitioners in India who actually uh, have done their LLB from uh, be it a three-year LLB or a five-year LLB from any university. And they are actually uh, doing mm-hmm. maritime practice uh, across across states. So an LLM is not uh, a mandate. Uh, LLM is not a mandate. LLM obviously gives you an edge because uh, an LLM by doing an LLM, because as you know, uh, no university in the country in your LLB uh, teaches you anything apart from the United Nations Convention of the Law of the Sea. That too, they do not deal it, deal that in the graduation level with so much detail that you can expect that person to know so much. So the the minimum that you're taught is a UN clause with a just a minimum touching, touching and brushing of it in the graduation level. That too, I think in the fourth, third or fourth year. So. Now, uh, that's the only thing that uh, they uh, deal with. Even the premier national universities uh, actually do not have much of a grounding in the subject of maritime, apart from the UN clause that they deal with uh, with only a very, very non-substantial basis. Uh, so because when a fresh LLB graduate comes out, the only thing they might have heard about is UN clause. Apart from that, they do not anything. You have to study it all over again. And it takes time to grasp. Obviously, they can practice. Law doesn't uh, disallow you to practice if you don't have an LLM. Obviously, you can practice anywhere. You just an LLB degree can practice. But of course, given LLM gives you an edge. So anybody who has an LLB can obviously read up a lot in maritime and start their practice. And if you want to take the conventional way, just do an LLM in maritime law and just uh, jump into practice or be an in-house lawyer or something. Yeah, so you need to clear your AIB also. Yeah, if you want to practice in uh, the high courts, obviously AIB is necessary. But if you want to become an in-house counsel or something, then obviously, as you know, AIB doesn't allow uh, uh, practitioners to have another double income. So if you're if you're an in-house counsel, not going to the courts, uh, AIB is not necessary. So uh, apart from that, there is no uh, some special requirement. No, there is no such special requirement. It's just treated as a as another area of law in the country where you can just do with a normal LLB degree. Okay, uh, so what are the career opportunities in India apart from litigation and in-house counsel, as you said, right? Uh, yeah, you can have you can become an in-house counsel in these uh, shipping companies. You can become an in-house counsel in uh, some certain logistic companies, uh, and you can always work at law firms uh, just like you have normal law firms for other areas of law. We have law firms in maritime too. Cert- certain law firms uh, deal with uh, normal uh, like maritime, uh, like uh, just maritime that is specific to maritime, but certain law firms do have a maritime practice apart from the usual practice uh, of uh, law uh, with other areas of law. So you can become a law firm practitioner. You can become an associate at a law firm uh, st- starting or a senior associate depends on your experience. You can become an in-house counsel. You can become a practice uh, practicing advocate. So the areas of law with other areas of law is very much similar. It's, it's nothing different. The only, uh, I think, a new opportunity which you said was the policy think tank thing. Yeah, po- where yeah, you can yeah, yeah. become a policy researcher. Policy researcher, uh-huh. yes. Okay, so are there any career opportunities abroad, like in international organization as such? Yeah, of course. Uh, like uh, for that, you have to uh, actually, uh, like, you can work with the IMO uh, 
as, as a consultant, as an advisor. That depends on how much experience you have. That will only come with uh, tons of experience. You, they won't obviously allow you to work with the IMO. or So there are a few stalwarts in, uh, actually uh, who actually work, uh, private practitioners who actually have been invited by the IMO or called by the IMO to uh, assist them in drafting conventions in their huge team. You, you'll be one of them who can, you will give them advice. Okay, this convention is like this and like that. So only if you're called by these international bodies, you might stand a chance, but only if you're an exceptional practitioner, you might apply and you might just crack it. But internationally, apart from working with these international organizations, obviously the opportunities right now in the uh, abroad is much more. By abroad, I mean all the seafaring nations have a lot of, uh, especially in London, in Singapore, in uh, Dubai, all these areas, we have Hong Kong, all these areas are, are called the hub for maritime so their, their law firms, their uh, organizations are much more developed because they have not been neglecting maritime. They have been doing it for almost a century now. They, have, they are almost like very well settled over there. But of course, India is catching up, but it will catch up very soon with that. So abroad, there are more opportunities, obviously. Uh, but obviously, you have opportunities back here in, in, at home too in India. Hmm. Yeah, and if you want to go abroad, then you must have some experience here. You yeah, pressures. yeah, but but depends. I mean, if you you can still crack an opportunity abroad, even if you like, uh, maybe you have an LNM in maritime law. If you if you happen, if you have CV strong, you might just happen to crack an opportunity with a law firm, let's say abroad. Uh, it's not a bar that you cannot do it, obviously. But obviously, experience helps certainly. Mm. Or else, if you have decided like uh, previously only that you want to uh, start your career abroad itself, then the best option would be that you go uh, abroad and. Pursue LLM there. Yes, yes. Right. That, that would that would open a lot of gateways for you. Okay, King Shok. So coming to the last question, please can you share any of the incident from your career till now, um, which is very memorable to you? Yeah, Prasanna, certainly. I mean, uh, if I if I recall uh, correctly, I was uh, employed with uh, Deloitte from 2016 to 2019 uh, July. So. Uh, during that, uh, I had a very good uh, memorable experience throughout my three years, but some of the incidents which I do recall from my uh, previous work experience uh, was that uh, I was awarded approximately seven times uh, during my three years in Deloitte, uh, which included two times uh, I received an award from the client and I also appointed a subject matter expert, uh, we, called it, we call it an SME in our corporate language, so during my tenure there for a, for a project. Well, uh, apart from that, uh, I also uh, have completed my executive general management program from I'm Calcutta in the year 2017-2018. Now, that was fully funded by uh, my organization, my previous organization, which was Deloitte uh, uh, India Office of the US. Now, well, I was selected uh, I was selected from a big pool of candidates which, is, which had applied for this and uh, the company had investment on my growth, invested on my growth uh, where it was a full one-year course, fully funded by them. And uh, so, yeah, so that was my achievement where my performance was taken into consideration and I was selected from a large pool of candidates. And uh, yeah, so that's that's one of my memorable experience where I have been selected for that. Okay, so that, that's, that's great because uh, I guess uh, there are thousands of uh, people working in Deloitte and yes. out of which few hundreds maybe yeah. may have applied. And from the, those hundred people, uh, you were selected. So yeah. that is a quite a big achievement. And from I am Calcutta, you pursued that course. You completed yes. that course. Yes. So I am sure that that would cost around few lakhs at least. Yes. Even if that's Certainly. a one-year course. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big achievement. Um, 
thanks a lot uh, for sharing that and thanks for this informative conversation thank you prasanna it was a pleasure interacting with you yeah same here king shuk same here after you start practicing your as a maritime law practitioner we will surely have one more podcast episode sure. if you have time for it. sure prasanna we'll look forward to it okay uh, so thank you so much for listening to this podcast if you like this episode then you must also check out our other episodes available here and follow us here so that you don't miss any new episode thank you thank you prasanna thank you